Self-deception is common and universal and the cause of most human tragedies. All self-deception can be understood as a means of protecting or enhancing the ego. And common ego defenses respectively are number one, repression, number two, reaction formation, and number three, projection. 64,000 is the median number of words per book. Average person reads about 200 words per minute. Simple math will tell us that is one book in 320 minutes. To accomplish this in seven days, numbers say you would have to read for 45 minutes a day. Don't forget to subscribe. Hit that notification button, like, comment, and share. Enjoy. Welcome to the Book of the Week series. Every week, as I read another amazing title, I share it with the world. My name is Igor S.F. Walker. Today, we look at Hide and Seek, The Psychology of Self-Deception by Neil Burton. So, how about you slow down and relax? Reduce all that noise for just a bit. Make that choice and decide to listen. In this video, we look at the major groups of ego defenses. Abstraction, trying to ignore or suppress the source of anxiety so that it no longer seems to exist. Transformation, trying to convert the anxiety into something more manageable, a manageable form. Evasion through fraud or fantasy, trying to distract from the anxiety through fraud or fantasy. Evasion through people or the world, trying to distract from the anxiety through other people or the world. And the fifth and final cluster of ego defenses projection involves externalizing the anxiety and then dealing or not dealing with it in that externalized form. Stick around till the end. I will share with you some tools I haven't used that will help you tremendously in this game of life. Discover a way to find out what actually motivates you, what innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. I will share some tools to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management and relationship management. Repression can be thought of as motivated forgetting. The active, albeit unconscious forgetting of unacceptable drives, emotions and ideas. Repression is often confused with denial, which is the refusal to admit to uncomfortable aspects of reality. But whereas repression relates to mental or internal stimuli, denial relates to external stimuli, to things that are out there. Reaction formation is the superficial adoption and often exaggeration of emotions and impulses that are diametrically opposed to one's own. Projection can be defined as the 
attribution of one's unacceptable thoughts, feelings, and impulses to others. Like distortion, projection necessarily involves repression as a first step, since unacceptable thoughts, feelings, and impulses need to be repudiated before they can be reattributed. Just as common as projection is splitting, which is the division or polarization of events and people into good and bad by selectively focusing on their positive or their negative attributes. Splitting diffuses the anxiety that arises from our inability to grasp a complex and nuanced state of affairs by simplifying and by schematizing it and making it easier to process. In intellectualization, uncomfortable feelings associated with the problem are repressed by thinking about the problem in cold or abstract terms. Intellectualization, and it should not be confused with rationalization, which is the use of feeble but seemingly plausible arguments either to justify something that is painful, to accept sour grapes, or to make it seem not so bad after all, sweet lemons. While we cannot entirely escape from ego defenses, we can gain some insight into how we use them. This self-knowledge, if we have the courage for it, can awaken us to ourselves, to others, and to the world around us, and free us to achieve our fullest, highest potential as human beings. Surely you have heard of the five stages of grief. The model describes in five discrete stages a process by which people react to grief and tragedy, especially terminal illness or catastrophic loss. The five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression or grieving, and acceptance. Just as people might move back and forth between these stages, often at speed, so they might get stuck in one of the earlier stages, failing to come to terms with their loss. An ego defense that is closely related to denial is negative hallucination, which is the failure to register uncomfortable sensory stimuli, for instance. For instance, the failure to see something that ought to have been seen, hear something that ought to have been heard, or feel something like crushing chest pain that ought to have been felt. The ability to hear, or at least register, painful truths is one of the many prerequisitions of being a good listener. Repression can be thought of as motivated forgetting, the active but unconscious forgetting of unacceptable drives, emotions, ideas, or memories. Unsurprisingly, repression is often confused with denial, 
But whereas denial relates to external stimuli, repression relates to internal, that is, mental stimuli, sensory stimuli. Nonetheless, the two ego defenses often work hand in hand and may be difficult to disentangle. Freud thought of repression as the basic ego defense, since it is only when repression is fragile or failing that other ego defenses come into play to reinforce and to rescue it. In other words, repression is an essential component or even a building block of the other ego defenses. A teen who got dumped by her boyfriend no longer recalls this episode, repression, and then comes to believe that it was she who dumped him, distortion. People often confuse the overlapping and similar sounding disciplines of psychiatry, psychology, psychotherapy, and psychoanalysis. Psychiatrist is a medical doctor who specializes in the diagnosis and treatment of mental disorders such as schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Clinical psychologist is an expert in normal and abnormal human experience and behavior. Psychotherapist is any person trained in delivering specialized talking treatments Commonly, it's a clinical psychologist or a psychiatrist. And finally, a psychoanalyst is a type of psychotherapist trained in delivering specialized talking treatments based on psychoanalytic principles pioneered by Freud and others such as Alder, such as Jung and Klein. The mental operation of suppression is similar to repression, but with one critical difference, namely that the forgetting is conscious rather than unconscious. Thus, suppression is the conscious and often rational decision to put an uncomfortable, although clearly not totally unacceptable, stimulus to one side, either to deal with it at a more opportune time or to abandon it altogether on the grounds that it is not worth dealing with. Dissociative disorders, usually precipitated by a highly traumatic event, leading to a disruption in the normally integrated functions of consciousness, memory and identity, dissociative amnesia person suffers a loss of memory most commonly for the period surrounding the traumatic event. In possession trance, the person reacts to the traumatic event by entering into a dissociative state in which her identity is replaced by that of another agency, such as a ghost, spirit, or a deity. In dissociated stupor, the person reacts to the traumatic event by becoming mute, speechless, and stuporous, motionless, failing to respond to stimuli such as human voice, bright lights, or extremes of hot and cold. A fourth kind of pattern of dissociative disorder 
is dissociative fuge in which the person embarks on an unexpected journey that may last for up to several months. And during this journey, there's memory loss, there's confusion about personal identity or even assumption of another entirely different identity. Isolation of affect. The dissociation of thoughts and feelings followed by the removal of the feelings from conscious attention is closely related to intellectualization. In intellectualization, the uncomfortable feelings associated with the problem are kept out of consciousness by thinking about the problem in cold, abstract and esoteric terms. Cognitive distortion is a concept from Cognitive Behavioral Therapy CPT, developed by the Beck in the 60s. Now it's routinely used in treatment dealt with depression and other mental disorders. Cognitive distortion involves interpreting events and situations so that they conform and reinforce our outlook, our frame of mind, typically on the basis of very scant and partial evidence, or even no evidence at all. Selective abstraction is to focus on a single negative event or a condition to the exclusion of other more positive ones. For example, my partner didn't call me yesterday. She must hate me. Personalization is to relate or connect independent events to oneself. For example, the nurse is leaving her job because she's fed up with me. Catastrophic thinking is to exaggerate the negative consequences of an event or a situation. For example, the pain in my knee is only going to get worse when I'm reduced to a wheelchair. I will not be able to go to work and pay the mortgage. So I'll end up losing my house and die in the streets. Catastrophic. Displacement also plays a part in scapegoating in which feelings such as anger, frustration, envy, guilt, shame and insecurity are displaced or redirected onto another, often more vulnerable person or group. The scapegoats, usually outsiders, immigrants, minorities, deviants, are then persecuted, enabling the scapegoaters to discharge and distract from their negative feelings, which are replaced or overtaken by a crude, but a consoling sense of affirmation and self-righteous indignation. Our ego defenses, as broadly conceived, that is, not only our ego defenses proper, but also our moral codes, values, habits, customs, culture, and other ties may provide us with an illusion of self, but they also define us as such and such, and in so doing constrain our range of thoughts, feelings, and actions, paradoxically the very elements that furnish us with our sense of self 
are also those that prevent us from fulfilling our true promise and potential as human beings. And so, if we are to live, we must first learn to die. When confronted with certain uncomfortable feelings, events, or situations, a person may suddenly become vague, or digressive, or curt. The person is not trying to keep these matters to herself, but as far out of mind and conscious processing as possible. In that much vagueness is on the same spectrum as repression, only not so marked. Vagueness is common after an act of self-harm, more elaborate or sophisticated than vagueness, and certainly more fluent, is frankness, which on the face of it sounds like the opposite of vagueness. In fact, frankness is merely vagueness in disguise. The person comes across as forthright and forthcoming, but at the same time, it is not telling the whole truth. Instead, she is carefully editing her account, omitting the bits, often about herself, that she finds most difficult to accept or to tolerate. Frankness is one reason, probably the most important reason, why stories have many sides. Whereas inauthenticity has to do with the self, reconstruction of reality has more to do with the self's relation to the external. With inauthenticity, the person pretends to be other than she really is. With reconstruction of reality, she pretends that the world is other than it really is, or that things are other than they really are. If inauthenticity and reconstruction of reality present a disordered reality, confabulation presents an altogether different fantastical reality. Confabulation differs from naked lying in that the process is unconscious, and also in that the person lacks insight into the falseness of her claims. Rather than shifting the focus of conscious attention, disordering reality, conjuring up alternate realities, splitting, like dehumanization, aims at simplifying or schematizing reality. Splitting is very common, if not universal. It can be defined as the division of polarization of beliefs, actions, objects, or persons into good and bad, by selectively focusing on their positive or negative attributes. The ego defense of dehumanization, also called deanimation, Latin word for removal of soul, involves seeing other people as less or other than human, as to distance them, in particular, the guilt 
of neglecting or abusing them from one's thoughts and feelings. Dehumanization is easier if you targeted person or people are marked out as different. For example, age, gender, race, religion, social class, sexual orientation, or even style of dress. Just as it is possible to escape into the future, so it is possible to escape into the past, either by focusing on an idealized past, as in nostalgia, or by regressing to a state of earlier development or less evolved consciousness. The most dramatic or extreme form of regression in the phase of emotionally disturbing or traumatic material is to fall out of consciousness altogether, that is, faint, pass out, fall asleep. People commonly benefit from strongly ingrained and potentially maladaptive personality traits. For example, people with narcissistic personality disorder may be highly ambitious, confident and driven and able to exploit people and situations to maximum advantage. People with histrionic personality disorder may be adept at charming and manipulating others and so at building and exercising business relationships. Our ancestors conceived of themselves less as a sole agents, but more as a part of a group, submitting their ego or their identity into the collective identity of the group. For them, <coughs> the long-term survival or flourishing of their community and their culture took precedence over their individual survival and flourishing. This meant they thought of their deaths less as the end of their lives and more as part of the life of the group, which, unlike their individual selves, lived on more or less eternally. This perspective enabled them to focus more on the present moment and on being, less on the future, and on becoming, which is the ultimate source of all anxiety. It seems to me that there are three principal scales of time, the present moment, a human lifetime, and the eternal. Now, the problem with modern man is not so much that he situates himself in the future of a human lifetime, since he fears death far too much to do that, but rather that he does not situate himself in any of these three scales of time. Instead, he is forever stuck somewhere in between. This evening, tomorrow morning, next week, next Christmas, in three to five years' time, as a result, he is neither the joy of the present moment nor the satisfied accomplishment of a human lifetime, nor the perspective and immortality of the eternal. The honesty, nobility and emotional deepness of which caused it to be much admired within a short time it is probably better 
that the world knows only the result, nor the conditions under which it was achieved, because knowledge of the artist's sources of inspiration might actually bewilder them, drive them away, and in that way nullify the effect of the excellent work. Altruism can be interpreted as an ego defense, a form of sublimation in which a person copes with her problems and anxieties by stepping outside herself and helping others. By concentrating on the needs of others, people in altruistic vocations such as nursing and teaching may be able to push their own needs into the background where they can more easily be ignored or forgotten. The acts that we call altruistic are self-interested, if not because they relieve anxiety, then perhaps because they lead to pleasant feelings of pride and satisfaction, the expectation of honor or reciprocation, or the greater likelihood of a place in heaven. And even if neither of the above, that at least because they believe and relieve unpleasant feelings such as the guilt of shame of not having acted at all. There can be no such thing as an altruistic act that does not involve some element of self-interest. No such thing, for example, as an altruistic act that does not lead to some degree, no matter how small, of pride or validation or satisfaction. Therefore, an act should not be written off as selfish or self-motivated, simply because it includes some inevitable element of self-interest. The best education is not that which enables a person to make a living, as the state seems to think, or even that which enables her to make a social contribution, as the schools seem to think, but that which enables her, on the path of freedom, an individuation in which, in long term, leads to the fullest living and the greatest social contribution. Facing up to non-being enables us to put our life into perspective, see it in its entirety, <coughs> and thereby lend it a sense of direction, a sense of unity. If the ultimate source of anxiety is the fear of future, <coughs> The future ends in death. If the ultimate source of anxiety is uncertainty, death is the only certainty. It is only by squaring up to death, accepting its inevitability, and integrating it into a life that we can escape from the pettiness and paralysis of anxiety, and in so doing free ourselves to make and get the most out of our lives. <clears throat> Some ego defenses are more commonly found and commonly used than others. 
question. Who would we be if we could suddenly shed all our ego defenses? Ego defenses are so deeply embedded in human nature that they naturally suggest themselves to us. And it requires a repeated effort of thought to recognize and to diffuse them. They're not just part of human nature. They are at the very heart of it. People who deceive themselves are, to echo Socrates, people who do not know themselves. And people who do not know themselves do not know their own good and evil. This self-knowledge opens up a whole new world before us, rich in beauty and subtlety and connection and frees us not only to take the best out of it, but also to give it back the best of ourselves and in doing so to fulfill our highest potential as human beings. How do we know when we are deceiving ourselves? rather than learning or growing from our experiences, or simply being stoical. By its very nature, self-deception is hard to distinguish from the truth, whether our internal emotional truth or the external objective truth. You have to develop and trust your intuition and ask yourself, what does it feel like to react in the way that I am reacting. Does it feel calm, considered, nuanced, or shallow and knee-jerk? Am I taking the welfare of others into consideration? Or is it all just all about me? Am I satisfied with, even proud of my self-conquering effort? Or am I left feeling small, anxious? and little ashamed even. Did you react from a position of strength or vulnerability? Are you just covering up an irrational fear, simply getting by, or helping to create a strong foundation for the future? Are you empowering yourself to fulfill your highest potential or depriving yourself of opportunities for growth and creating further problems down the line. Is the cycle simply going to repeat itself or will the truth at last make you free? And there you have it. The psychology of self-deception. Please do help out. It is easy simply like this video so more people can enjoy it. Share it too and spread the word. Leave a comment and do share your thoughts. Subscribe to my channel and stay up to date and the link to this book is in the description below so you buy it and you read and you never stop learning, especially learning about yourself and nature. So gift yourself by taking the free human needs test on my website and then find out what actually motivates you? What innate human need is driving all of your decisions and your behavior. And if you feel you are ready to improve your self-awareness, social awareness, self-management, 
and relationship management even further. Well then do check out my Master of Life Awareness program. The links are in the description below. I thank you. Love and respect.